Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. In week 16, we go over how I was dealing with a lot of anxiety with my parents being here and also anxiety about doing this show. And we loop in how inquiry actually helps with anxiety. And Sean goes over pretty big week for Clever FM. And how I'm using inquiry to help me sort through the challenges at Clever with fundraising, with looking at solutions for go-to-market, customer acquisition, and things like that. Week 16. Congratulations. Four months. <laughs> I'm James. You're James. I'm Sean. Congratulations to you, to me, to us, to our listeners for sticking with us this long. I mean, if you just joined us last week, also congratulations. <laughs> yeah. You didn't miss much? <laughs> you did not. <laughs> We're still struggling four months later, so yeah. the saga continues. And we'll probably talk more about the book, Loving What Is Anyways, and we've been talking about that for several weeks now. Yeah, I can't get enough of it. I say that every single week, <laughs> and I still can't get enough of it. I feel like I'm a devout practitioner of this like method. Yeah, there's a religion coming up now. The Loving What Is religion. <laughs> yeah. But no, of this methodology, it's just a really amazing methodology. It's not a cult or anything. <laughs> it's not like, oh, I, I believe UFOs are going to fly by and we need to prescribe to this. And the earth is flat. Anyway, welcome to week 16. <laughs> Let's start off with you, James. You know, any major struggles before we jump into the, the startup struggles side of things? Any personal struggles? You know, uh, something that I, I realize is that I have a lot of anxiety I think this probably is for a lot of people, but very specifically, I have anxiety about this show and I have anxiety leading up to when I'm thinking about what we should talk about. And then when we're recording, it all magically kind of goes away mm. as we like talk. And then I realize, like, I also have anxiety leading up to when the show is published and then when I hear it. But as I listen to it afterwards, the anxiety also dissipates. And I think it reminded me of this quote by Seneca, we suffer more in imagination than in reality. Mm. And I think that's what a lot of anxiety is. It's like, we're just worried about something. We're concerned about whatever. But once we start to actually act and start to take care of the things that we want to be taken care of, yeah, anxiety kind of works itself out. Yeah. Have you tried to inquire as to what's making you anxious? Any examples? Like with recording, for example. Yeah, like, well, I sound stupid. Or as I'm recording a lot of my own voices, I hear, we talked about this in the past, where I hear a lot of weird noises. Yeah, the mouth sounds, the mouth clicks, whatever. And that causes me anxiety. And then I'll say something and I'll think back and be like, man, was that the right thing to say? Is that right? Is this wrong? Do I sound like an idiot? Like all these kinds of things, right? Yeah. But then once you just start to, for me, it's either I start talking or start recording the show or actually listening or start to just get past it, just move on. And I realize it doesn't really matter. And all that suffering, all the stuff that made me anxious, 
just kind of goes away. The statement here that helped me overcome this, this anxiety, this worry about sounding stupid. Again, after doing this for so long now, can't believe it's been almost five years. That's half a fucking decade. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, is it true that I'm supposed to sound smart all the time? It's like, no. I sound like an idiot sometimes, which is why we have editors that cuts this stuff out. Uh, <laughs> and I just trust in the process. Like, I really trust our editing team. And even if I sound stupid, says who, right? Maybe something I thought sounds smart, other people think is stupid, right? right? And what I think sounds stupid, other people are like, oh, that's kind of smart. Yeah. And so, again, it's this projection in our own head. It's like of what we think is stupid or not stupid, when in reality, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. That's something I put up to inquiry and, and see. <laughs> Same with like any mouth noises. Like, I think after you said it, it made me a little bit self-conscious. But I was like, dude, who cares? I have saliva in my mouth. That's yeah. what happens. That's, that's, yeah. that's natural. I can't, it's normal. Yeah, I can't not have saliva in my mouth. <laughs> I can't not stutter. <laughs> yeah, I can't not stutter. I can't not say um. <laughs> I can't not. Sometimes I just like flood my words and just roll over words and it happens. It's weird. I, I used to be so self-conscious of it. Well, I say used to be as in it like happened so long ago, but you know, just even three weeks ago, yeah, I was still really battling this self-conscious part of me that was like afraid of what I would sound like. But you know, what's also kind of weird is the more I try to sound smarter or more professional or whatever, like the worse I sounded. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that kind of weird? You're overthinking it. You're overthinking. Yeah. You're overthinking it. Yeah. Same with like performing. Yeah. I would invite you to listen to some NPR episodes or interviews. I think that's something that helped me a little bit. And don't listen to TED Talks. TED Talks, those people practice for like five months for like one 18-minute talk. But when I listen to other people do interviews and whatnots, like professionals, I'm just like, oh, they sound the same. Like they kind of... And part of it's because they're not like us. We're not like scrutinizing our voice and our sound they're listening for the fucking content right <laughs> like i'm trying to hear what they're saying like, i care less how you sound it's just as long as you sound right acceptable it's like that's all it is they're listening for the content so anyway was that your biggest struggle personal struggle this week i think that's just something that stood out to me like my parents left a couple of days ago and i was thinking about you know my parents being here and that actually caused me to think about anxiety too I was really anxious for when they're going to be here. And then when they got here, it was fine. And then they left. And I'm like, oh, I kind of miss my parents. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why was I so anxious? Because I remember the weeks before that they arrived, I had a lot of anxiety. It's like, oh, how are we going to deal with this situation? Like, we're going to be in a really small house. There's going to be five of us plus four animals like living... And then we're babysitting a dog too. So there's going to be three dogs, two cats, five humans in this tiny little house. And I was just imagining all these horrible scenarios where everything could go wrong. But then they were here and it was fine. Mm -hmm. And it just got me thinking a lot about like anxiety and why I get anxious. And when I think about depression, if I'm not depressed, if I'm having like a good day, sometimes I get anxiety because I'm like, I'm going to be depressed tomorrow. And I get anxious about it. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> that makes no sense. You can't win. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I caught myself doing this. And I was like, 
I started laughing because it seemed just ridiculous. It's like I was creating my own anxiety. Mm -hmm. I was like almost forcing myself to become depressed because it's just what I knew. It's just what I know how to do. (laughs) And it became really weird. And I use like inquiry on that. It's like, is it true that I should not be depressed? Yeah. I'm like, I always thought that I shouldn't be. I don't have a right to be, but I am. And once I am, then I'm like, what do I do next? And I just go and I try to do the next thing or I go and act on the next thing. And it doesn't go away, right? It's still there. But I think the important thing is that I'm actually moving. I'm actually doing things, right? Yeah. You're not dwelling on what shouldn't be because it already is. It's like, I shouldn't be depressed. I shouldn't. And you just get stuck on that. Mm -hmm. But it's like the moment you can accept that reality. It's like, yes, I am depressed. Then you're just like, all right, exactly. Like, what's next? Because you're not rejecting reality anymore. That's really important. That's really important. For me, like, I think very similarly, a lot of anxiety for me comes through communication with like family. My family's still here. Actually, they're, they're gone for the week, but they went to, I think, Las Vegas and Arizona to check out some, some real estate. Nice. Yeah, so they could potentially move here from Michigan, not have to pay California prices, but still be like close enough because Vegas and oh. I guess Phoenix are five hours away each. Yeah. It's crazy. Like it was a struggle, but it wasn't much of a struggle anymore because of loving what is. Like someone would say something and I would immediately react negatively. I'd be like, are you trying to start some shit? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like that, right? Someone make a statement, just like a very like broad blanket statement about something. And it would just sound like, oh, are you trying to like say something like in a backhanded way? And sometimes I feel like parents are like, spouses like that's how they communicate like they say something snarky right (laughs) but then i was like i don't have to respond to this why do i have this like response this negative response why am i so triggered right like Mm. i don't have to be triggered and so what i've started doing was i was like hey what do you mean by that what are you trying to say in a very genuine like non-triggered way i'm like hey i don't think i understood what you're trying to say like what are you trying to say like are you trying to communicate And it just like completely shifts my mood because the underlying belief when I'm triggered is like, this person is trying to trigger me. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, is that true? Is it true that they're trying to trigger me? It's like, maybe, but can I know for with absolute certainty that this person is trying to trigger me right now? And it's like, no, I can't. And I've like said things like this morning that triggered me. And she had a very like strong response to it. And it was just like her initial reaction was like, she thought I was saying this. I was like, that's not what I meant to say at all. Like you might have heard that, but I just said I had a very blanket statement. Actually, I can share this publicly. And it was like, I said like, oh, because my parents are leaving in two weeks, like permanently. Today was the first Uh day they kind of left temporarily to go elsewhere. And and I was like, well, Miles is really used to them being around. Like, what is it going to be like? Like, how are we going to adjust when my parents leave, leave? Because there's Uh a routine like every morning after breakfast with Ming's parents, like my dad and my mom take him out for like a two-hour walk and they go play in the playground and whatnot. And it's like a habit now. And he's like two years old now. Mm -hmm. He knows like it's time to go out. He'll literally go grab like my dad and be like, hey, you know, like he can't talk yet. We're like, let's go, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, how are we going to adjust to this? Because if Ming's at work and I'm at work, like I can't take him and Mink's parents, like they need to eat like a brunch, you know, typically they eat mm-hmm. a brunch. And I was just like, how are we going to adjust to this? And she, I think she took it as like, I'm 
saying like her parents and us, the four of us can't take care of Miles. Basically like we're incompetent. Once my parents leave, it's like we can't take care of Miles. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant at all. I was just like, how are we going to adjust? Because Miles has, he is more demanding now. Like my dad's been around for almost two months uh-huh. so that it's not too much of a burden on anybody to say like, hey, Miles wants to go out in the morning and mm-hmm. nobody can take him, right? So he's going to be upset. How do we adjust that, right? Can we find some help? Maybe I can adjust my schedule and change all my morning calls to internal calls, which I can take on the road. I'll just take miles for a stroll and just be on my AirPods or something. Oh. Because I was thinking like, I can't take client calls, yeah, like podcast host calls. Like I need to be at my desk. I need my mic to really show them, hey, I'm a podcaster too. Yeah. Just that impression. And so anyway, the whole thing boiled down to this idea of like, just sometimes with people close to us, we're just so triggered. Mm-hmm. We're so triggered by the immediate thing that they say. And we jump to conclusions. Right. Mink's immediate conclusion was like, Sean, you're, you're so like spoiled by your parents. You're so like privileged. They're always around like to help out. It's like, you don't know what to do. Like once they leave, like that was her, she told me like, that was her reaction. It was like, <laughs> dude, you're so fucking privileged. Like, why do you think we can't live without them? You know, it's like, I'm like, no, that's not what I was thinking at all. I was just thinking like, I just want to have a conversation on how do we adjust, right? Yeah. It's going to be, be a big change for Miles or a relatively big change in my opinion. Yeah. And maybe that's not true. Maybe that statement needs to be put up to inquiry. Like, is it true that it's going to be a huge change for Miles and he'll have a hard time adjusting? Maybe it's not. But yeah, that was the struggle of this past week. But I say it's very brief because I catch myself in the moment. Mm. And in my second and almost third listen to this book now, that's what it is. She's like, once you've incorporated the work and inquiry into your life, things that you used to find painful or frustrated about, just any kind of discomfort, you feel joy. And that's what I feel. Hmm. Like when I feel discomfort, it like rings a bell. It's like, hey, do the work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. I can do the inquiry now. <laughs> yeah. Do the inquiry. Do the work. It just unlocks just a world of love in short. That's awesome, man. And I shared this last week. Like it just unlocks a more loving way to communicate that it is just so much more effective. And even from just a very purely selfish perspective, I just feel like I'm so much more effective now because shit used to bother me all the time. Like first thing in the morning, like somebody would be like, hey, Sean, do this or blah, 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 do that. And I'll be like, dude, or like this thing this morning, right? It was literally the first conversation I had waking up with me. Normally it would just like really tick me off and piss me off. And my whole morning would just be ruined. because I'll be like in just a shitty mood. I was upset for like two minutes (laughs) before I caught myself and just snapped out of it. I was like, whoa, whoa, stop. This is just a huge misunderstanding. Yes, she is judging you. Is it true that she shouldn't judge you? No, it's not true. She judged. (laughs) She judged me. And it's like, can I get over myself and not keep on perpetuating that accusation and judge her for judging me as if she shouldn't judge me because I'm judging her, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I just stopped that chain and I was able to, I was just, boom, I was able to let go and much more clearly communicate what I was trying to communicate and just like give her a hug and just like diffuse that situation that previously would have just consumed like half of our day. Yeah. Just being upset with each other until we realize, okay, that was dumb. I'm sorry. You're sorry. Let's move on. Yeah. But boom, 10 minutes diffused. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like a big takeaway here is that for anyone that's going to try this, it's not that you don't feel the emotion. It's not that you don't get angry. 
or you don't get upset. It's more about you can just almost catch yourself. It's almost like your emotion slows down. You can slow down your emotion on how you can react to whatever it is that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. I think that's been something that's been really helpful for me. Yeah, that is what it is. It's not about not feeling. <laughs> it's not about being emotionless right. or being a robot. It's like, you're going to feel what you, you feel. And in most situations, like, are you going to let it consume you? Right, right. And it's like, maybe sometimes like there's certain events that are truly saddening. Like, yes, you know what? I'm just going to sit in that moment for a while. If it's depression, it's like, yes, I'm just going to feel that feeling for a while. That's totally okay. But with things like this that ultimately build into bigger, what you call like uninvestigated emotions or uninvestigated feelings, it's a buildup of these things. And if you can catch it sooner, it's like, yeah, she was kind of attacking my, my ego, judging me in that way. And I could have totally just been consumed by it and reacted to it and be like, dude, that's fucked up. You're judging me. That's not fair. And tell myself this whole story about me, 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 me. Right? <laughs> I can stop that cycle and be like, you know what? You're allowed to make that judgment. You can say whatever you want. So that's on the, on the personal side. On the startup side. Well, the startup side. So I was doing a little work with you, your company, actually. And we're talking about tags. I wanted to bring this up also because it kind of relates of the same thing for me, like having anxiety. For some reason, I was really anxious about this idea of like what tags were. And I wanted to like work with Shana on this and just get the project rolling as quick as possible. Yeah. And what I thought was interesting was as I was thinking a lot about what to do or how to do it, I was really anxious because I'm like, oh man, I don't understand like what the purpose of tags is. Like, what should we do? What are tags going to be used for? And that's like what I was anxious about. And then instead of asking those questions, I just kind of dove right in. And was like, what do you guys do now? And we kind of just ran with this different idea about how you guys are using tags now. And then my immediate thought was, we should just clean this all up first. Right? But for some reason at that point, like if I listened to my anxiety and like listened to ask about the why, like what's the purpose of tags? Like what is it going to be used for in the future? Sitting down and slowing down and maybe actually thinking about the why in this purpose, like it would have actually released a lot of the anxiety. Is that kind of weird? It sounds very confusing in a way. No, I think that's it makes sense because that's the whole point of inquiry. I sound like a fucking guru right now. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, that is a point of inquiry is like doing the investigation. Yeah. On why something is, like why are you feeling that feeling? Because our gut instinct is pretty good. <laughs> I listen to my gut a lot and you know, if your gut's saying like this doesn't feel right, it typically isn't. Sometimes it takes me like days, weeks, months to uncover what it is that my gut's trying to tell me. One of the examples was kind of our internal go-to-market strategy on customer acquisition, for example. Mm -hmm. We have this strategy where like we ask hosts to promote Clever to their listeners and something felt really off about this whole cycle. And I couldn't pinpoint it. It took me until last week to figure this out. It took me like four months. And I realized what was wrong with our process was that we were very reactive about finding these listeners. We weren't being proactive about it. Mm. It felt like we were being proactive because we're working with podcast hosts to go find the end user, right? But it was reactive in the sense that we're not just trying to find the 
average listener. We're trying to find these super fans, the super users. And our whole process was tell the host, hopefully get a super fan of theirs onto our platform, and then hope that they use the app for like a couple of times or a couple of weeks. And then go look in the data to see if this person exists and then go reach out to this person and like work with them to like really help them like figure out like, hey, what are your needs? Like, how can we improve the product for you, right? As you're listening to this, you're probably like, that sounds fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like that's the expression on James' face because it is fucking ridiculous. Like, it makes no sense because there's so many like hopes, right? Along the way, it's like, there's so many drop-off points for this person. Like, hey, they might not just want to download. They might not want to download an app in the first place. All right, boom. That person's gone. They download the app and they hated our color scheme. Boom. That person's gone. Like they hate the onboarding experience. Boom. That person's gone. We're like kind of just like praying for like a super fan to show up. <laughs> and the whole point, obviously, of finding these super fans, super users, so we can talk to these users, identify the super users, so we can talk to them, interview them, and improve our product with them and iterate on the product with them. That is like the whole purpose of a startup. But we're just waiting for this person like, <laughs> to show up. Yeah. And here's the crazier thing. Like for the longest time, we didn't even have a good data analytics dashboard to be able to identify this person. <laughs> so even if the data was there, we wouldn't know this person's fucking there. <laughs> and get this, even if they showed up, they gave us all this, this engagement data. The data told us it was there. If we didn't go check the dashboard, uh-huh. we didn't know it was there. It's not like there's a <laughs> notification being like, boom, hey, Sean, there's a uh, super user today. You know, you should go talk to this person. I was like, oh my gosh, this is why. This is so backwards. What is the solution? I don't know what the solution is, but the better idea, I realized, is think of it like an experiment, right? You know your subjects. You know the test subjects of your experiment when you run like a trial or a test or anything. For this longest time, we've been trying to run an experiment without knowing who our subjects were on one side. <laughs> we knew the hosts, but not the users. Right. And we're just like, hold on, why don't we try to identify who the users are from the get-go? Let's just like talk to podcast hosts and say, hey, like, do you have any users that frequently DM you or like email you, like reach out to you? Mm-hmm. Let's try to identify these people and then say, like, hey, we're actually willing to pay this person to do, let's say, a user study with our app interact with you in our app instead of on Twitter's DM. So we can see how the interaction works, how can we improve the process, where are the friction points, and so on and so forth. Like that makes so much more sense. Like that's a real fucking experiment. Yeah. Not the bullshit that we were doing. That's funny because that was just one step away. I remember talking to you about this, being like, yeah, we're trying to find soup fans and we're reaching out to the hosts and telling their users to actually use Clever FM. Yeah. That was literally one step away. And it's funny that it's only in hindsight where you're like, oh, yep, we should just ask their listeners to just use the app and then get feedback from them right away. Yeah. Identify who those users will be to test with our app and then just get feedback right away. Exactly. Again, it's so obvious that when I just share the story, it sounds really dumb. Only in hindsight, though. I mean, when I look at our stats, we have 100 weekly average users. Our data is a little bit different from like Facebook and social media platforms that tracks, you know, DAUs, daily active users. For us, like not everybody listens to a podcast every single day. Mm-hmm. They subscribe to like a weekly show and might be like three times a week, right? For like three different shows. I mean, our stats are good. They look fucking solid as of recording the 24th of January. We just pushed on another new release today, like a pretty big update. 
the UI looks dope. I don't know if you checked it out. <laughs> I downloaded it. I haven't opened it yet. Like the new cards UI. Oh, the new cards UI looks so good. Everything just looks amazing. We have in-episode discussion now. So anyone listening to this episode at like, I don't know, it's minute 30 right now in this recording. At minute 30, they can like hit the comment section. It'll actually tie in like minute 30, 52, and you can start a discussion at this timestamp. Whoa, cool. Yeah, there's just a bunch of new stuff. But anyway, the product is, is only getting better, obviously, but it's not about the product getting better. It's about, are we building the right feature sets for our early adopters, for our users? Mm-hmm. That's where we need to be talking to our, our users. We have a game plan, so that's a start. <laughs> Good. This is a startup struggle right here. Yeah. 101. <laughs> have a game plan. Step one. Take four months to figure out your game plan. Yeah, or it could be like step one, interview users. Yeah. Here's a challenge sometimes with like users. You just get user fatigue, like interview fatigue, because you're just like, it's hard to, unless you're skilled at this, or this is like your job, let's say like UX researchers or product management researchers and whatnot. It's so hard for me because as a CEO of a startup, like you're in sales mode. So you're always trying to sell the company. I wouldn't say it's hard to listen to feedback, but it's hard to like listen to a bunch of different feedback from different people and then be able to prioritize what is actual signal, like what's actually important, what's actually going to move the needle in terms of customer acquisition or customer retention. And what's just like, hey, it'd be nice if I have this. Yeah. Like it took us forever to add the sleep timer because we just didn't think a sleep timer was important. Because <laughs> <laughs> the user was like, hey, I want a sleep timer. I'm like, yeah, but we're like, we're an interactive podcast app. Do we really want a sleep timer in for an interactive podcast app where we want people to engage with the content? It seems counterintuitive. But then we're like, wait, if we really want super users, super users use this feature because they listen to like six plus hours of podcasts a day and they actually listen to it going to bed. Yeah. So yes, there's 10% of the time that they're listening at nighttime. So who cares, right? It's totally okay. It's little things like this, James. It's just like, Ugh. How did you make the decision to add sleep timer? Was it more discussion with people or was it like you heard enough of it from a request? We heard enough. We heard enough of this request. And then I think from Survey's perspective, it was just like, oh, it's actually not that hard. I think it took like <laughs> two lines of code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sleep timer on. <laughs> yeah, like no joke. Like the package existed, I think. It's not like something we had to write from scratch. Yeah. Sleep timer is not like, we're not reinventing the wheel here. Yeah. It's not something that confusing. <laughs> no. Set a timer, turn the app off. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing was a Bluetooth, being able to select the speaker, mm-hmm. Bluetooth speaker, you want to change audio devices. There was also a package for that. So that's been incorporated as well. We want to switch speakers. And part of that was like, there was native code. It's actually native to iOS and Android. It's just like a link out. It's like, oh. You press it and it just opens the native code. It's like switch the speaker. That's my understand, rudimentary understanding of it. If Serby's listening, he's going to like kill me. Yeah. <laughs> but, he's like, it's not that easy. Yeah. <laughs> but what's been amazing is we have two new backend devs on. So we have a team of five now and they're just killing it. Just killing it product side. Nice. They're in uh, South America, right? Yeah. The two backend devs are in South America. They're in Brazil and Colombia. Nice. And then the other struggle is just fundraising. Fundraising is just a struggle just because there's just so much to manage. You know, investor communication, booking a time, getting investors interested, getting intros. That's maybe the first step. Finding the right person to provide an intro, building up an advisor team to, to help with that. Telling the right story. 
But yeah, like crafting your story, like reworking the pitch deck and making sure that's concise, having like a teaser deck versus like a leave behind deck, like a longer form deck. It's just mind numbing work because you know your story, you know your business, but then you have to like bring yourself out of it because you're like, all right, someone looking at this without knowing anything about your business, do they understand what the fuck you're trying to say? Right. That's not easy. That's true. Yeah. Because sometimes we're like, we use vernacular that's like this and that. It's like, we get it. Of course we get it. <laughs> We've been in this for like a year. And then the other thing I'd like to share around startup struggles is you hear this a lot. And I used to experience this myself where you go to these like startup pitch events and whatnot. So, or you hear VCs give talks and they're like, yeah, the best way to contact us is you can cold email us. Yes, please cold email us. But the best way is like, through a warm referral. And the thing that pops up in every entrepreneur's head is like, where? How do I get a warm referral? Right? <laughs> They'll be like, oh, find like CEOs that you know we've invested in and build a relationship with them and whatnot. And like, how do I find the CEOs that you've invested in? Yeah. <laughs> sure, <laughs> like, let me just reach out to this guy. <laughs> yeah, let me reach out to Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Jack Dorsey, you know, because yeah. <laughs> you invested in Facebook and Twitter. Hi, I'm this is a cold referral, <laughs> yeah. but I would like a warm referral to this. <laughs> It just feels ridiculous, this kind of advice. And I was like, all right, how do I navigate this? And I'm pretty lucky in that, you know, I did my MBA at Berkeley and I did that intentionally so I could have access to that network. And through that network, I've gotten a lot of referrals and just opened a lot of doors through that, you know, the alumni network and whatnot. But I discovered like the secret is to go spend a lot of time curating your advisor list, like go find advisors and then. Get them on your on your cap table. Get them excited about your company, and then give them equity. Hmm. Because one of our advisors literally like introduced us to like tier one VC firms, like Andreessen Horowitz. Like wow, the tier one of the tier one VCs. Yeah, and then you're just like, wow, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> like no joke. It was like that was easy. They literally made an intro, and Andreessen Horowitz responded back immediately. It was like. Yeah, I would love to chat, like set up a time, you know. Oh, I was like, okay. <laughs> it is a huge whoa moment. And once it happened, we're like, that was so simple. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, I'm over simplifying the story. Obviously, I'd spent over eight months building these relationships. Yeah. <laughs> what feels like a decade ago. They always say this like, the CEO's job is to build relationships, is to always be selling and always be recruiting and always be talking to people and networking. I, I've gotten pushback before from my partner, Servi, mm -hmm. from my wife. It's like, well, what's the intention of this networking? <laughs> and sometimes it, it feels awkward to explain because you're like, I don't know. I don't know where this is going to lead. <laughs> <laughs> but it could lead somewhere. But I'm just planting seeds. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the worst, right? It's just like, oh, it could. And you can't justify things. And for people like my wife, you know, like a doctor and serves an engineer, like for them, it's very like clear cut, right? It's like X plus Y input equals Z output, right? And for me, it's like some input here, some input there, no idea where it's going to lead. <laughs> <laughs> Something will work out eventually. Yeah. But, you know, I'm pretty diligent about networking and, you know, this Techstars thing came about from that. And when I really look back, like I mentioned in the previous episodes, like it was just a connection that I made through podcasting at Haas and another connection. And then that led to this and then led to something else. And, and if I don't really 
take a look back, like a hard look back, it's so easy to just say, oh, yeah, we're just lucky. Oh, like things just happened. <laughs> I was thinking about how luck actually is equal to effort times attempts, where effort is a scale of zero to one and attempts is one to infinite. And I think in your your case, you're saying like, oh, it's lucky that we get to talk to Andreessen Horowitz, but actually it's you put in the effort at even if it was 50% or 80% of your effort at one day or another, but you put in thousands of attempts and that is what luck is. Yeah, it is. I think a lot of people like think that, oh, we just got lucky or I just got lucky. And you know what? Maybe that is like part of life is that luck is definitely a part of it. But if you put in more attempts to things that you do, the dice will eventually roll your way. Yeah. You create your own opportunity. I mean, that's why I've that tattooed fortune favors the prepared. That's right. I forgot I have that tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> My wife makes fun of me all the time about that tattoo. Cause it's like Fortuna. She's like Fortuna. <laughs> <laughs> Fortuna is the, what is it? The Latin or the Greek goddess of fortune. Anyways, it's been a pretty good episode actually for me personally. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. No, I feel like it dominated the conversation. Dude, I think it's really good to hear about all these like updates on Clever and in your eighth month long journey on how to get here. I feel like it's very valuable for listeners to hear that. Yeah, we're going to listen back to this someday and, and just have a good laugh. We are signing off for the week. Thank you so much for listening. This is Sean Lee. I'm James Park. Have a good week, everyone. Mm-hmm.